pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show and it's called Southern Sense and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. Point out the colors in you. I see them I don't know what the heck that is on the end of that. One of these days, you got to figure that one out. Uh, you can never start a show without something screwing up. So you have to be here listening to Southern Suns on Blog Talk Radio, SHRME, Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. <laughs> the heck? Oh, yeah. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm the screwed up radio chickadee. <laughs> Annie, the radio chickadee, along with my oh so patient and courageous because he dares to come on every week with me. Curtis, <laughs> yes, Curtis. Oh man, can it I mess up a wet dream? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, in reality, as far as dreams, I, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. I mean, I go to the store, people wearing masks. I go to. Um, like Burger King or something, and it's only, um, you know, drive-through. It's like the Twilight Zone. People don't want to touch you. Well, not that I really want to touch a lot of them. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's different. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about this. Um, something happened to me uh, just the other day, and I actually reached out to my state senator, a friend of mine who's also a state senator, he used to be my state senator until they redistricted us and sent him away, uh, also to the governor of South Carolina. And believe it or not, I immediately got an answer back from my state senator. Uh, and he followed up, had one of his aides follow up with a phone call to me today. And um, we're going to be discussing this, especially when we have Liz Harrington on. She'll be coming on after we do the show dedication. Uh, and then we're going to have, uh, I, I thought we'd do something lighter today because everyone, everywhere you turn, it's coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. Trump's not doing enough and blah, blah, blah. And every single thing you look at every five minutes, it's either someone in California that's on the TV or someone from New York. Hello. Lane Stream Media, and that includes you, Fox News. There is a whole nation in between California and New York. The world does not revolve around those two effing states. And you want to know why I moved out of New York? It's precisely for that reason. Like everyone in New York thinks the world don't revolve. I'm sorry, I'm probably pissing off a lot of viewers. But it's so annoying to the rest of the country that no one is paying attention to the rest of the country. And this is something, again, we're going to be talking about with uh, Liz Harrington, because Trump is doing a tremendous job. He sees where there is a need. He fills it. And God bless American capitalism, how companies and individuals are coming out of the blue and helping us make this pandemic of this episode, our nation, this part of our history that we are going through as we witnessed it live, um, are helping each other. And they're doing things that you would never have thought of doing before. Uh, Mike Lindell announced this morning that he's converting all of his factories into making those masks, those N95 masks that are so precious and so dear to um, our first responders and our medical staff. 
Um, they just announced that over 300 New York City cops have now tested positive for the coronavirus because they are not getting the equipment they need out there. You see, I see cops out there with, with no gloves on at least. At least wear gloves. You know, uh, my heart believes for the first responders that have to go out there not knowing whether or not a person they're touching may carry the COVID virus or coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, it's the same damn thing. Uh, whether or not you're in New York, you're in Florida, you're here in South Carolina, we just had three, uh, two state troopers and one local uh, cop self-quarantine themselves because the person they dealt with in a car accident had been in contact with individuals that were positive for the coronavirus, the COVID virus. So it's happening across the nation. So we're going to be talking about that, but we're going to also go a little bit lighter We've got two singer-songwriters uh, that will be joining us. One is Savannah Nider. Um, she's got a, a new release out. Uh, she doesn't have an album out yet, uh, but she's a small-town girl, and she's coming up pretty big in country music. Uh, we're also going to have Ashley Puckett, again, another up-and-coming woman of music. She was declared by Billboard's magazine as a woman of music in the December 2019, just a couple of months ago, in their December 19, uh, 2019 edition. Uh, so we're going to be talking to her. That said, Curtis. Man, yeah, what about... So um, talk about to do. Yeah, I wanted to add to what you were saying earlier um, about protecting people with this coronavirus. I heard on the news last week that... Um, Governor Cuomo turned down like fit, a chance to purchase fifteen thousand respirators, and and he has the nerve to blame Trump for what's going on in New York right now, when he turned down an uh, opportunity to purchase this stuff uh, a couple of years ago. Exactly, uh, President Trump, then civilian Trump, presidential candidate Trump, had said to Governor Cuomo, it's like, you know, we've had the H1N1 virus, we've had the avian flu, the swine flu, we've had MERS, we've had Zika, we've had Ebola, um, we've had SARS. So we've seen the need in a large metropolitan area to stockpile certain items, and one of them was respirators. And Governor Cuomo at the time says, now nah, we don't need it, and didn't get them. Well... There's something to be said for those of us that, you know, have a proper mentality that we see. Um, I am not going to buy just one box of Band-Aids. If I see them buy one, get one, I'm going to get two boxes. Or maybe I'll get four. I'll just put them away in the cabinet, and when I need them, they're there. Uh, I'm, I'm notorious for buy one, get one sales. You know, <laughs> I see that I'm going, all right, I may already have one on the shelf right now, but I'm going to get this because I'm actually getting one free or at half price. So I'll mm-hmm. get it. But I'm not a crazy prepper. I do have my Patriot food in my pantry. I've got enough to last me easily a month of my Patriot food. So, guys, I'm telling you, it's lower in sodium than any other uh, uh, preserved food that you'll find out there. I've tried several others, um, and I found the taste is better, and it's lower in sodium. So if you have blood pressure or any sort of a cardiac uh, problem or any sort of a health problem where too much salt may be detrimental to you, check out My Patriot Food by going to my website, 
the name of the show, just put a dash in the middle, Southern Hypothesis, and purchase, because I believe they still have that special on where they'll send you a two-week supply at a discounted price. But you have to purchase it through my site. Otherwise, you're not going to get that deal. So check it out. Anyway, Curtis, um, let's get rolling along because we do have a dedication to do. And um, this one's a little strange because we don't have an official date for the gentleman who passed away. And Curtis, remember just recently, matter of fact, this last show, we had a gentleman on uh, that wrote a book, uh, Why I Am Me, or Why I Am. Um, we discussed his, his history, and he himself had been a CIA operative. And what happens is the CIA recruits these people, and they don't have the benefit of going through the farm uh, of any extensive training. They are not reimbursed. They're not part of the CIA payroll. They're paid through a, another company, and sometime or other, I guess, the funds get to the company, and officially he's paid by the company he's working for. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, they, they do little missions off the, the books, off the records, uh, with a couple of handlers, CIA operatives also. And if they get caught, all anyone knows is that they're an independent civilian, an American citizen. And if they get caught, there's no, there's no safety net. No one is going to be there to rescue them. So today's dedication is going to go out to Robert Allen Levinson. And if that name rings a bell, he was just in the news uh, just the last couple of days. His family has announced that he has passed away. His date of death is unknown. He was a former Drug Enforcement Administration and FBI investigative agent who disappeared on March 9th of 2007 in Kish Island in Iran while on a mission for the CIA. On March 25th, just two days ago, his family announced his death. It has been determined that he likely died while in Iranian custody. So this is from Newsweek, written by Jeff Stein. And it reads, a retired FBI agent famously vanished nine years ago on Kish Island, a kind of Iranian Grand Cayman frequently by shadowy arms dealers, counterfeiters, smugglers, and, of course, spies. Almost certainly he was kidnapped by Iranian operatives. Years would pass before the tr truth emerged that Levinson had been working for a CIA analytical unit that was making an end run around the espionage wing of the agency and had no business running amateur spies. Now the Iranians have him, if he's still alive. All this and much, much more about the Levinson affair has been dug up and stitched together by the distinguished New York Times reporter Barry Meyer in his important and troubling new book, Missing Man, the American spy who vanished in Iran. Judging by Meyer's account, if ever there was a cause for blowing up the CIA and starting over, as many agency old-timers have argued, the Levinson affair is it. A good beginning would be the formation of a select congressional committee to air out the whole sordid business. 
For a long time, the facts behind Levinson's disappearance was one of Washington's best-kept secrets. The official line was that Levinson, an organized crime specialist who had been freelancing since his 1998 FBI retirement, was working on private business when he went to Kish. That was only very narrowly true. Levinson's, quote, private business, unquote, was spying for the CIA. The former G-man had never ginned up his own cover story for his mission, that he was investigating a cigarette counterfeiting case in Iran for British American Tobacco, BAT, a sometime client. In a move that could have lifted from burn after reading, he typed up a phony assignment letter to BAT on BAT stationery, a ruse that would have fallen apart with a single call to the company. The truth was, however, that Levinson went off to Kish in hopes of turning Dawood Salahuddin, a U.S.-born fugitive who decades ago had carried out an assassination of an Iranian exile dissident outside Washington, D.C., to his informant. A handful of national security reporters, myself included, eventually learned that Levinson had actually been working for a rogue CIA analyst who had violated agency rules by using him as a spy, that agency officials had allegedly lied to congressional overseers about it, and that people had been fired. However, incomplete, it was a hell of a story. But we sat on it after hearing arguments from Levinson's friends and family, their U.S. Senator, Bill Nelson of Florida, and of course, the CIA, that revealing Levinson's agency ties could be fatal. The simple fact is that we didn't want to do anything to jeopardize Bob or complicate efforts to free him, Meyer writes. Perhaps that was naive. But it was a decision that his editors at the Times and he never regretted or second-guessed. In late 2013, however, with no movement on Levinson's case and smelling a cover-up, the Associated Press and the Washington Post published the true story behind Levinson's disappearance. Reporters Matt Apuzo and Adam Goldman wrote that Anne Jablonski, a highly regarded senior CIA intelligence analyst, who long shared Levinson's enthusiasm for tracking Russian gangsters, offered her friend a gig to provide reports to the agency's illicit finance group. The unit tracked back black market arms dealing and money laundering. After Levinson vanished, Apuzo and Goldman reported CIA officials lied to Congress in closed hearings, as well as to the FBI about his extensive work for the group over the year before. He disappeared. And then this is from the IB Times, written by John Lee Voorhees. It has now been concluded by the Trump advisors that Robert A. Levinson, who disappeared in Iran in 2007 on an unauthorized mission for the CIA, is dead. Top national advisors behind the family of the former agent in a meeting at White House, following which family members of Agent Levinson released a statement on Facebook. Quote, we recently received information from U.S. officials 
that has led both them and us to conclude that our wonderful husband and father died while in Iranian custody. Agent Levinson's family wrote on Facebook, We don't know when or how he died, only that it was prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. It is believed that Levinson disappeared from Kish Island off the coast of Iran on March 9, 2007. The former agent was requested by his CIA friends to gather intel on corrupt Iranian officials in Kish, and is believed that Levinson obliged as he had to renew his CIA contract. To say the least, the mission was botched up from the start, as it was being run by CIA's analytical court, which is not trained in the dangerous work of running in the field. Since retiring from the FBI in 1998, Robert Levinson had been operating as a private investigator who specialized in Russian organized mafia, and he soon caught the eye of CIA analyst Anne Jablonsky. The two became friends, and Anne used his experience in tracking illicit financial networks and sent him secretly after drug money in Latin American countries. As per the CIA documents, Levinson was hired as an analyst, but he was never meant to be on the field, but Jelonsky kept everything under wraps and soon sent him after Iranian officials. It is now being confirmed that Agent Levinson's death is not connected to the coronavirus outbreak in Iran and apparently died before its outbreak in February. He apparently suffered from diabetes, gout, and hypertension. It's impossible to describe our pain, the family wrote. Our family will spend the rest of our lives without the most amazing man we have ever known, if not for the cruel, heartless actions of the Iranian regime. Robert Levinson would be alive and home with us today. It has been 13 years waiting for an answer. The government left him behind for many years, they wrote. The family vowed to make sure the Iranian regime and those who abandoned him know they will not be going away. Members of the Iranian regime must be held responsible, they wrote. Today's show is dedicated to Robert Allen Levinson. It is also dedicated to all the men and women out there that serve our nation in ways that we never will know, and they do it silently, and they do it willingly. We also dedicate the show to the brave men and women out there that are serving as first responders on the front line as we live through this pandemic, placing their lives and their family and friends' lives at risk of infection. We also dedicate it to all the brave men and women out there who have served in our nation from its magnificent birth through today and into its future, who are also now working side by side with our first responders, protecting and serving our nation each in their own way. And we dedicate to them this song, Amazing Grace, may God bless each and every one.
And we're back. Here we are. Listen to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star, Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, all the heck of it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And my buddy, my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, is having a little trouble staying in the studio. Welcome back, Curtis. Yeah, I had to call in. <laughs> I don't know what's going on down here with the signal, with Skype. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, you got a virus in your phone. <laughs> you yeah, got a virus like in I your said phone. earlier. Yeah, we got that Corona <laughs> computer virus. Beware, that's going around. Oh man! You know, um, Liz uh, Harrington will be calling in in a few minutes. Um, I got a con- confirmation from. Um, the RNC uh, yesterday, so I know that she will be calling in shortly. Uh, but I wanted to mention, I had mentioned earlier uh, that I had something where I contacted my state senator uh, and also another friend who also happens to be my, one of our state senators and then into the governor's office. And um, this was something that happened, uh, and especially during this, this incident with the corona or the COVID virus, whatever you want to call it, the Wuhan virus, as I call it, um, that I had a doctor appointment yesterday, and I had rece- my husband had received a phone call from his doctor the day before, and the diagnosis he received um, has us somewhat concerned, but we're going to be following it up with you know some very good specialists. Um, but it made the fact that I don't have to be, or he doesn't have to be in quarantine, but we do have to be cautious about where we go and what contact we have with people, because if I get sick, I can very easily transfer to him, and it could be very fatal at this point. Um, so I called the doctor's office, and I said, listen, you know, with everything that's going on, can I, this is just a follow-up visit. I just want the blessing. I want the mea culpa, mea culpa, you're fine, you know, whatever. Hail Mary, go home and, and be better. I really don't need to physically be there. Um, anything I have to say to the doctor and anything she's going to ask me, actually it's the nurse practitioner, is going to ask me, can be done by the phone. And I got the hemming and hawing and the hemming and the hawing. Uh, well, they're not qualified to do that. And 
And after about 15 minutes, I finally got someone I assumed who was the head nurse practitioner or head nurse or whatever she is there. And I explained everything to her. And I said, listen, it's, it's not smart. And we're being told that to be avoid certain places where we would be in contact with people that are ill. And after going back and forth, she agreed. She said, yes, you are 100% correct. Yes, we can do a consult over the phone. And this is where, God bless, i got to say, I'm, I'm giving a shout-out to my state senator, Chip Campson. God bless you and, and, and the, the crew that you have working for you. And a special shout-out to your aide, Brad, there, who took the time to talk to me on the phone. President Trump signed an order back in the beginning of March where if you don't need to go to the doctor's office, you can initiate a phone call with your your doctor, someone that you're already been seeing. You have to be a patient of that doctor. You can pick up the phone or go on to the telemed that a lot of these doctor's offices have and you know be on your smart device or your computer and consult with the doctor and his staff without leaving your home. And this has been put in place in rural areas, but the problem with the rural areas is because of HIPAA laws and because of Obamacare and whatever else that went on the books, um, the insurance companies were worried about paying out the doctors. And the doctors were worried about, you know, consult fees. How do you build this out to get paid by Medicare and by insurance companies? And what the rural areas did was you had to go out of your home to a designated location, get on whatever telemedication device they had set up, video conferencing, computer, whatever it is, you have to go on that specific device to contact your doctor. Well, Trump changed the game. He says, no, you don't. All you need is your cell phone, your smart device, your computer. You can contact your doctor's office and have a consult directly over the phone and this is how you build out Medicare. Now, they're trying to get all the other insurance companies to follow Medicare's example and do the very same thing. So here I sat on the phone for 15 minutes saying, listen, I'm feeling fine. The medication you have on me is working 100%. I've got no side effects, no ill effects. I feel great, but I don't want to put my husband in jeopardy. Let's do the consult by phone. He found the executive order. It's 1135S, uh, I believe. And, folks, this is something that, that's important. Because if you feel like you're not feeling well, and you may believe, all right, fine, I don't have the virus, but I may have a cold, or, you know, um, I got some heartburn or something like that, I can pick up, you can pick up the phone, call your doctor's office, and have a teleconference. And they define any device, such as a telephone, a smart device, a computer, as an acceptable communication device. This is great to know, folks. I probably will be writing an editorial into my local paper, specifically thanking my state senator for the hard work that he and his crew are doing. Um, but in the interim, that when I found this out, it turns out that there are certain requirements uh, that are still odious. And they're working on finding out exactly what they are and how they can countermand them, uh, adjust them, uh, deregulate them, whatever they need to do. Because I said, I asked them, 
to determine what is the requirements and protocol for phone and telemed conferencing. So he sent me the sheet of what Medicare now requires. Now we need, if you have private insurance or insurance through your employee or your retirement and you're not on Medicare, get a hold of them and say, hey, are you following the same guidelines Medicare set up so my doctor can teleconference with me? So you've got to follow that up on your end. Um, Also, I found that um, there are several hospitals in the area that will do a telephone uh, conference, a telemed conference. Contact your local hospital. I know they have this at Buford Memorial Hospital. We also have it at MUSC, the Medical University of South Carolina. Um, If you should have um, COVID virus and in the teleconference they determine that you may possibly be someone that is now a victim of the Wuhan virus, the COVID virus, the coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, that they won't charge you. So you check out what your hospital is doing, check out what your personal doctor is doing, and if they are aware of these Medicaid, Medicare guidelines. So it, it's, I think this is very important. I had asked if there could be a public-private partnership to be established for new patients because these guidelines are for current patients, and it has to be, that contact has to be patient-initiated. The doctor cannot call you and say, let's do a teleconference. You need to call the doctor and initiate the teleconference. Um, if this could be done for new patients, giving them a referral to medical access so they can do a teleconference. Because if, they, if you felt fine and for years you never want, needed to see a GP or go to the hospital or anything, you're like, well, I don't have a doctor. But now if you need one, I'm asking them to provide it for new patients. So we're going to see. Um, this could also, I said, alleviate a lot of Medicaid people from going to the emergency room for a sniffle or a splinter in your finger or something stupid like that and leave the emergency room for real emergency situations. So, you know, when we say all politics is local, it starts off locally. And something as simple as this started the ball rolling here in the state of South Carolina. And, you know, if it goes into the governor's office, maybe in a government meeting, which has been going on nonstop with Trump lately, that this could be brought back up and say, all right, we've got this for Medicare. Let's do something now for Medicaid. Let's do something now for those that don't have a doctor or those that who have private insurance. Let's see what we can do to make the situation easier. So uh, right now I'm waiting for our guest to call in, and I'm not even paying attention to the clock, Curtis. Jeez. Did I lose Curtis again? Curtis, are you with me? Can anyone hear me? Okay. (laughs) I think I've lost my co-host again. (laughs) So, Curtis, if you can hear me, either unmute yourself or call back in. Oh man, this is this is this is this is just going to be too much. Um, I'm just typing in the chat room. If you can hear me, please let me know. <laughs> can you hear me oh, now? Oh man, uh, I got you now, Curtis. I can hear you now. Got your baby. Oh okay. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh man, but what do you think about you know what I was just talking about, Curtis? This, this is something important, I think. 
it is very important. And I think that um, with time, we're going to make it through this. I was just looking at um, while I was trying to get through to you a second time, I was looking at this passenger ship that's coming into Fort Lauderdale that has four people dead, 138 people sick, and um, 85 crew members are sick. Wow. Doesn't make sense. You know, why would a cruise ship still have that many people on it, to be honest with you, with all this going on in the world? But four four elderly people are dead. And I think it's the um, Holland America MS Zandam cruise cruise line. Never heard of them. Oh, Holland America has been around for a long time, a long, long time. They actually uh, date back to uh, after World War II. That's how far back they go. I think they were also in existence prior to World War II. At one point during World War II, Hitler was using their ships, um, and which is why they renamed the shipping line, you know, after the war. Uh, but uh, they're known for their excellent service. Uh, I owned a travel agency back in the late 70s, early 80s, and I'm highly familiar with Holland American and have, have traveled on oh, okay. their ships on many occasions. On many occasions. Um, so I'm surprised that Holland American would have this sort of a problem because they are known for right. their excellent service. Um, right, and I mean, this has been going on for like a couple of months now, this corona, and they still selling people on it? Yeah, that that is curious because, you know, and I'm wondering what ports they hit or if someone had come on board at the start of the cruise already ill and probably infected say. everyone else. So you have no idea. Um, if no. it was something that was already on board, because uh, even crew members have a tendency to switch lines and, hey, listen, now so-and-so is not sailing anymore. I have cabin experience, so hire me on as a cabin crew. Um, it's possible it could be even the crew that passed it on to the passengers. So we won't know, not unless there's a full investigation done. And, of course, you won't know who patient zero is, what ground zero is, because of the HIPAA laws. We are being prohibited from knowing if your next-door neighbor has the virus. So if you knock on your next-door neighbor's door and, you know, borrow a cup of milk from them, you don't know whether or not uh, you're going to get sick, unfortunately. Uh, And it's come down to this. So even law enforcement, the first first responders are not even being told what they are walking into. Are they walking into a coronavirus situation because HIPAA laws prohibit the patient's information being given out. Well, the more I look at this, I'm starting to think that um, they were quarantined because they haven't left the ship since March 14th when they were in um, Puerto uh, um, Arenas, Chile. So it sounds like they were quarantined. Mm. All right, so then if this goes back to March 14th and if they found the virus there, so it brings it back to the beginning of March when the initial infection probably started. So, yeah, you know, they were in Argentina on March 7th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and South American voyage. This. Think about this, though, because we talked about the influence of China across the globe, their new network of railways, roadways, infrastructure projects, ports, and everything else. The Chinese are in not just Asia, the Middle East, Africa. They are also in South America, Middle America, the Caribbean. So did a Chinese national start the infection down in Chile? Was it's possible there everywhere. Yeah. Did a crew member or something visit an establishment that was run by a Chinese national? Because wherever they start these infrastructures, they also bring their shops, their shopkeepers. And so they set up mm-hmm. your stores and everything. So when you go to buy milk and bread and sugar, you're going into a store that's owned by communist China and run by communist China. So, um, yeah, you, you don't know. And China's not owing up to the dirty, dastardly deed they have done. And there has been a recent report that they've actually tracked it down to the actually Chinese lab in Wuhan where the initial infection was created. Ground zero. Ground zero. We need to to decouple ourselves from our dependency on China to to make our medicines and just about every other product that's coming out of China to the United States. We need to go elsewhere or make them here in the United States. I mean, I don't see why we can't do these things here. But to rely on our medication from China, that's absurd. Well, my my question is, is because we have no idea what the Chinese are putting into these medications that we are using here. And a large majority of them are antibiotics, um, heart medications and stuff, what they are using as binders, which is could be a really good reason why I developed a Bad, bad reaction back on September 13th, just this past year, where I went into full anaphylactic shock. I got to the hospital just in time. And if it wasn't for the fact that my training as a police officer in an emergency situation said that as soon as I felt myself going into a severe allergic reaction, I immediately took Benadryl and then had my husband rush me to the ER. I mean, I barely made it up to the front desk to sign in when they already had the wheelchair and the gurney racing towards me because they, my face was twice the size. I, I looked like I had a balloon head. My lips were out past my nose. Um, it was not a pretty sight, folks. But, you know, I am now wearing, because I now I'm going to put it up before the, the camera, a medical alert bracelet that uh, I, every time I go to the doctor, I let them know I have a medical alert bracelet because of that severe reaction. So the question is, that antibiotic that I purchased and I took, that my doctor prescribed to me, something I've taken many times in the past, was this manufactured in China. And I will bet if we were to check that lot number, which I've thrown the medication out so I can't do it anymore, but if we were to trace the lot number back, I will guarantee that was probably made in China. They probably threw a binder in there, something that I was allergic to, that I may not find it any other medication, but this one factory may have thrown something in there that's not normal. And we're relying on China for our medications. I mean, how many babies are out there wearing rompers made in China? I went on um, eBay 
looking for something two days ago. And everywhere I looked, it said it was being shipped from China. I then went to Amazon to look for the same item. And every single site I hit on Amazon said made and, and shipped in China. And I said, I can deal with that, this item. I am not going to buy it. I am not going to have it shipped from China. I am not buying from China. That said, let's bring on a friend of the show. I always love having her on here. Welcome aboard, Liz. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, we have Liz Harrington with us. She is the national spokesperson for the Republican National Committee. And you heard my rant. I'm not buying from China. <laughs> what happened? I, mean, I grew up with the song, and I, I, I'm going to show my age, but it used to go, look for the union label. It was telling people to buy USA, made in the USA. And, you know, we don't have that anymore. Well, I think, you know, hopefully one of the silver linings once we get through this, which we know America will, is reevaluating these things. Because President Trump, uh, this has been an issue he's been talking about since for years before he even ran for president. Uh, that's why his administration uh, took a tough line against China, uh, the first administration to do so. You know, you ask yourself, how did we get in this situation? Well, one of the big reasons why is out the door, Bill Clinton let China into the World Trade Organization. Uh, out the door of the Clinton administration in the, in the end of the 1990s, uh, he basically sold out American manufacturing, ceded it to China. And we've seen a loss of millions of jobs since China entered the World Trade Organization. We've seen them stealing our intellectual property manipulating their currency. I mean, in this pandemic, which they have a lot of culpability for, um, they're not being honest about their numbers. Um, and it's the same thing that they've done with manipulating their currency to get an upper hand. I think this is a tremendous opportunity to bring that core manufacturing back to the United States. It, it, it's of the utmost importance when you talk about 80 to 90 percent of the ingredients of our antibiotics are coming from China, and that's a national security issue. And now I think that's really in the forefront of a lot of Americans' minds. That, and it's great to see some of this mobilization in the private sector with our surgical gear and masks. This is something that we should have been thinking about a long time before. But I'm glad. I think one of the outcomes of this will be a priority to further incentivize that manufacturing returning to the United States, which the, which the Trump administration has been working on. Last July, executive order really incentivizing the government to buy American, which will start, uh, if the government's forcing the demand, um, that will really trickle around to the rest of the private sector. We have a much better business environment with the lower tax rate, with the deregulation. So. Those changes have already incentivized that move, but this crisis, I think, will also really um, make the difference when you look at going forward, not being dependent on a hostile regime which lies to the world and humanitarian abuses throughout their country. It's absolutely appalling, and that's something that we should be thinking about and reevaluating after this. 
No, I, I agree with you. And, you know, people forget that also under the Clinton administration, he personally made sure that a lot of our <clears throat> computers and uh, computer data knowledge he gave to North Korea, which you give it to North Korea, you're giving it to China. I'm sorry, there's right. no wall there. If it goes right. to North Korea, it's definitely ending up in communist China. No, no ends of buts about that. But when he did that, shortly afterwards, Heiwa became a major player in the Internet and telecommunications industry. And who wants to put together our new Gen 5 Internet services but Heiwa, a Chinese communist-controlled company. And fortunately, there are voices out there going, we don't want China doing our, our Gen 5 on our Internet, do we? Right, exactly right, and I think that the Trump administration has been trying to tell Europe and our allies over there in the United Kingdom, don't let Huawei uh, get you into 5G because you cannot trust them. You're bringing in a hostile regime. I mean, we, we've seen it, and it's really sad that our media has really carried so much water for this authoritarian regime when they're the ones, because they silenced doctors, because they tried to, you know, quash this and pretend it didn't exist and make it go away, well, look what happened. They exported this throughout the world, and now the globe has to deal with the consequences. And then for the New York Times to report and say, well, you know, maybe we should rethink about open societies because Europe is having a more difficult time dealing with this than China. Excuse me? A closed society <laughs> is why we're in this disaster. Because of their lying, because of their silencing poor doctors uh, that ended up dying over this because they were trying to get the truth out there. I think this is going to be a very clarifying moment, especially for the United States, and it should be for the rest of the world. Think about what we've traded, uh, you know, cheaper, cheaper goods coming in, but what cost to you know, our lives, to our livelihoods, to uh, propping up a, a really despicable authoritarian regime. Uh, these are very important questions that we're going to be asking ourselves that a lot of Americans are asking right now, and I think they're going to be addressed, and I'm certainly glad that President Trump is in there uh, during a time like this. This is someone who has always, since he was elected, since he got into office, has always prioritized our country in the interests of Americans first. That's why he was able to get better trade deals negotiated. Uh, and that will ultimately, when we get through this, put America in a better position than we've ever been before. Because you've you got to keep in mind as well, the fundamentals of this economy, we really took off once President Trump was elected and once the changes came into effect with the lower taxes and the deregulation, getting the government off the backs of the American worker. We have are in such a better position today than we otherwise would have been. And we got it. I, I think the president is absolutely right. We've already seen the ingenuity, the American spirit that's coming alive in a time of crisis. We will come out stronger than ever before, and it's because of our freedom. Uh, it's because of the differences in 
the way the governments are set up and these authoritarian governments, it's our differences. It's what set us apart and put us in such a better position. And, and I know I have confidence that we'll come out better on the other side. You know, uh, before you came on, I was telling about an incident I had um, trying to contact the doctor because I was supposed to have a doctor appointment. And we had gotten a diagnosis from my husband, and it was like, well, what's going on with him at this point? Um, it's not a wise idea for me to go into a doctor's office where I may be in contact with people that are sick and bring it home and infecting him. It may be a simple cold or something like that. But right. at this point, can I do a teleconference? What I didn't know, what the media has not reported, what is not being put out there is that President Trump at the beginning of March put out an order, 1135, that said, and it was specifically for Medicare uh, Medicaid patients, it said, listen, the patient can initiate a teleconference, whether it's on a cell phone, their home phone, uh, their smart device, their computer, they can contact the doctor, the nurse practitioner, or a, a number of other medical professionals and start a teleconference that way. And this is how you build Medicaid and Medicare for those services. No one knew about this, including right. the doctor's office that I was calling that was associated with my local hospital. So I ended up contacting a friend of mine who happens to be a state senator, my former state senator until they did redistricting, my current state senator, and my governor, Henry McMaster's, and God bless Chip Kansas, my state senator. I mean, within a matter of a few hours, he was back on with me. He had some answers. He says, I'm going to follow up with my staff. First thing this morning, I had a call from a staff member from him. He goes, this is the information you want. This is the executive order Trump put out there. And we're going to have McMaster, we're going to work with Governor McMaster to make sure that everyone within the state of South Carolina knows about this order. Trump is doing things, and right. no one in the media is not telling them about this. But this is something that's so vital. So important. How many people can be treated without having to leave the comfort of their home and not become in contact with someone else who's sick and just spread whatever it is around? A absolutely. And this has never been done before. And you got to be scratching your head thinking, well, why hasn't it? You know, we should be prioritizing this from the get-go. But what's amazing about the Trump administration especially in a time where you need out-of-the-box thinking, you need all hands on deck, you need creative ideas, they're, they're, they're doing what needs to be done, and they're getting the restrictions out of the way. And you think, why was the government not allowing this to happen from the beginning? And yet, if the media, which they claim, oh, they're so, you know, they can't allow President Trump to speak live from the briefing room because they don't know what's true or what isn't, what a bunch of baloney. If they were really interested in getting the truth out there to the American people, they would be highlighting things like this. But I just Googled it. You know the first search result that comes up? Statnews.com. It's not the New York Times. It's not CNN. It's not the Washington Post reporting on telehealth, which they should be. And so I'm so glad you, you told that story and you, may, you took the action, you took the initiative to get the word out there because absolutely, what does Dr. Fauci say? He said it just yesterday. If you're starting to feel sick, I, I have allergies. I was starting to feel allergies last week and, you know, you start Googling and you're scared like, oh, no, is this something else? 
Well, what do you do in that situation? You call your health care provider first. You don't want to go out and a doctor because if you do carry it, you don't want to be spreading it out and, and hurting others unknowingly or unwittingly. So absolutely, this telehealth, this new innovation, just by you know getting the government restriction away, prioritizing this, it's helping people get information they need, and it's helping our seniors who are the most vulnerable group uh, from this virus. So it's things like this that I'm glad you're sounding, uh, you know, get, sounding the trumpet, getting the word out on this. Uh, that's what we need from our media. Unfortunately, we, we don't get a lot of that. But fortunately, there are a lot of, uh, you know, people in different an avenues and radio stations that are still broadcasting and, of course, people in the conservative media as well and Fox News and, and putting the information out there because it's so critical. It's so critical to have unbiased uh, news right now. And it's just sad that even in a time of a global pandemic, what does the media do? It, it's petty. It's trying to pit people against each other. Oh, where was Dr. Fauci? Is there a risk? It's such nonsense, and it's not what the American people are looking for. We, frankly, quite, quite frankly, don't have any time for it. And that's why that Gallup poll that came out the other day shows who has the only institution that has approval underwater right now in a time of a global pandemic is the mainstream news media. And they've lost so much <laughs> credibility, and I just don't think they can get it back. No, I, I have to laugh because when they, when they gave out the unemployment numbers for new applications, and you could see MSNBC or the Communist News Network, CNN, they're all with glee. I mean, they just couldn't keep the joy out of their face. And then my own local rag comes up and writes a page and a half comparing the coronavirus epidemic to the Great Depression when people stood in line for a cup of coffee and a sandwich. I mean, really? Really? And, and they, crazy. I mean, just every single day they've prioritized panic. They've prioritized um, reporting on the stock market only when it's going down drastically. You know, I, I hadn't seen Stephanie Rule on MSNBC over on the stock market floor when it was breaking record after record after record last fall and winter. <laughs> but suddenly it's dropping and there she is. You know, that's why, and, there, and people are right, they can see through it. People are smart. That's what... That's what Democrats and the media will, will never understand. They suddenly overnight, they've all become doctors. They've all become statisticians. They've all become, uh, you know, experts on vaccines and pandemics and everything else. They have so much arrogance when in reality the, the arrogance blinds them to the facts that, you know, maybe President Trump has a little bit more information than you do right now. Maybe your assumptions, maybe your assumptions about you know your bias, or you don't like him, and this and that. Maybe that's not the priority. Maybe he's got a team around him that are working around the clock, the best and brightest who have been elevated to. I mean, it's amazing to see how these are now household names: Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci. I mean, they are incredible, 
And President Trump couldn't care less what Dr. Fauci thinks about politics. It's all about what is the best decision for the American people and American worker. And, and the media just can't get past it. They can't get past themselves. And it's, it's sad because these are times when we really need uh, judicious, um, sane reporting, level-headedness. Unfortunately, you're not getting it from the media. You're not getting it from Democrats on Capitol Hill. I don't know if you saw the Michigan congresswoman who really had a meltdown from the floor before they passed this legislation this morning, uh, the representative from Michigan, Haley Stevens. But that's not what we need from our leaders right now. We need calm, cool, collected, make the best decisions for the American people as a whole and they present it as such a false choice that we have to choose between, you know, our, our health and our economy. We're the United States of America. That is a false choice. We can do anything that we put our minds to. We've already seen the innovation. Fox, I just saw, uh, just had this story about the distilleries around this country who are putting the whiskey on hold there might be putting a beer, breweries might be putting the beer on hold and they're making hand sanitizer and that's the kind of thing that's only happening in the United States it's because of our great country it's because of our great people and it's because of our freedom and sadly democrats in the media oh, they don't understand that no no they don't and you see people innovating go ahead Chris i keep on cutting you up just jump on top of me don't don't do that <laughs> just jump on it <laughs> all right Liz, tell me this is not true, but I saw on Fox News the other day where people who are collecting unemployment or who are about to collect unemployment will get $600 a week, and that's on top of what the state is going to give them. Tell me that's not true. Because well, who would ever want to go back to work? They, they could stay home and make anywhere from 4000 to five a month just sitting at home. My understanding is, and that's what the hiccup was when the Senate finally reached basically the same deal that they had already reached on Sunday before Pelosi flew in and blew it up, um, is that they, the average – it's different per state, and each state has its own metric, but the overall average is an extra $600. But you have to keep in mind – uh, so for some states, it'll be, you know, a little bit more. For other states, it'll be a little bit less than that amount. And so you have to keep in mind that this is only for four months available. Uh, and this is also a situation that's unlike anything we've ever seen. The fundamentals of this economy, before going into this crisis, we had a million more job openings than unemployed people in this country. And the first time in the history of our country, governments, state governments and local governments are telling people not to work. It isn't an economic um, crisis. It was a health crisis. So as long as we could prioritize, because one of the biggest things in this bill that the president's about to sign is the small business and medium-sized business relief, the loans, as long as we can make sure that those companies, if they keep their payroll, it, we will give you a loan and we'll forgive that loan for your rent, for your payroll, for your utilities, as long as you employ the people. So we're hoping, and what Secretary Mnuchin and what 
the Mitch McConnell and Republicans negotiated on Capitol Hill was how can we make sure that these companies, which employ the vast majority of Americans across this country or medium and small-sized businesses, that they still exist when we go back to work. And that's the fundamental thing, that the priority. I know there were some concerns about incentivizing people to take unemployment, but I truly believe this job market was so good going in before this happened. I truly believe that once we do turn it back on, and once we turn it on in, in certain areas, prioritizing the less hit areas and where it's safe, we'll, we're still practicing some of these good hygiene and social distancing practices. Once we turn that back on, people will go back to work in droves, and they won't need the unemployment because Americans, by and large, you know, they don't want a handout. They want to go back to work, and they just we just want to make sure that these great companies exist on the other side, and I think these loans, the $350 billion in loans that will be backed by the government, I think it will really address that issue and make sure that these companies are there on the other side. Well, Liz, um, I do believe I have my next guest in on this, the uh, uh, switchboard here. Just want to remind, if, if she is sitting on the board there, please press 1 and I'll bring you in. But I want to thank you for uh, joining us, Liz, and they can find you up on Twitter at Liz. RNC, they just can go to the RNC and, and contact you. You guys are doing such fantastic work, and I'm glad that we're giving you the avenue to get your voice out there, because lamestream media sure is happy doing it. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much for having me, and you guys be well. You too, Liz. Thank you. God bless. All right, so Liz back. Harrington, check her out at the uh, GOP.com as well as Liz Harrington. Uh, uh, you'll find her on Twitter, L-I-Z, Liz, R-N-C. Now, I do believe this might be our next guest. Is this the big meow? <laughs> this is him. Oh, this is this Can is, you hear me? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I got you. I got you loud and clear. And I want to introduce to you someone that I found up on uh, Twitter uh, after he got into a cat fight <laughs> with Ann Coulter. <laughs> Welcome, the one, the only. You'll find him up on Twitter as CatTurd2. Good afternoon. <laughs> the big kahuna. How's it going? Oh, it is going fine. You've got a book out. <clears throat> you sent me a copy of it. Uh, the Adventures of Calfart. Literally, the dumbest book you'll ever read. And as soon as I started reading this, I had to put a copy of it on my husband's phone so he could read it on Kindle. I mean, uh, you're just hysterical. You are absolutely, what made you decide to write this book? <laughs> I don't even know. I was just like, um, I guess I'm so tired of AOC, and I thought the best way to just to do it would be just to make her look as ridiculous as possible in a book. But um, I don't. I don't really know what inspired it. I just started writing it one day, and it took me about three months. And there it is. Well, I'm I'm waiting for the second part of the book um, because you go around and you have this AOC type character, and she's the ruler of the world. You know, <laughs> the way she's running from, uh, in, in New York State her seat, you think she's president, not Trump. <laughs> Some of the crap she comes out with. Matter of fact, um, 
Liz Harrington got into a little bit of a pissing contest. She was the GOT, GOP spokesman that just uh, hung up with us uh, with AOC because AOC put some sort of an asinine comment out there about uh, illegal immigrants, or proper term, illegal aliens, are not receiving any of the stimulus money. The uh, way? <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, she. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's she just... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. There must be a little delay. Yeah, she. Um, it, it, it's amazing to me that she gets as much airtime as she does because it's just the most ridiculous stuff. That's that's kind of what I deal with my book. I just kind of take take the how ridiculous she is and what it'd be like if she was actually running her uh, her own planet. So she, uh, you know, she she runs the planet duh, in the Cleveland Galaxy. And um, she has her auction farting bull around Farticus and destroys planets with her Green New Deal. So, it's, uh... <laughs> it is it is it is a hysterical book because you could actually the way you write the characters, you can actually hear AOC's voice in it. And it, it is, I'm telling you, if you just want to sit back and just laugh your ass off, and yes, I said the word, uh, you just want to laugh yourself silly, you've got to read this book, you know, and I actually have, believe it or not, 11 pages, I'm going to hold it up because I'm, we're up on um, Facebook and uh, with the video on there, also a real screen, um, as a matter of fact, I didn't post a picture up there, oh, shame on me, I'm going to get through up there, get Liz off of here, um, but I have like eleven pages printed out of uh, of your book, and I just thought it was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> well, you know, I decided just to sell them on my my website, and I didn't put them on Amazon, but I still sold. Heck, I sold thousands of them. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I thought maybe I'd sell a hundred, you know, if I was lucky. So it, it, you- it's been quite a surprise. But you also have a fantastic uh, following uh, up on um, on Twitter, and you know people come to your rescue and your aid whenever someone tries to get into a hissy fit with you. <laughs> I tell you, they're like a pack of wolves, aren't they? It's amazing. Oh, that they are, and I'm putting up the image right now uh, that I had pulled up on the internet, and one is the cover of the book, The uh, Adventures of Cow Fart, literally, uh, and the other one is someone put up a mine that I found. It's Hillary Clinton holding a T-shirt saying, I follow Cat Church too. You should also, or I'll suicide you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I, I, I don't I, know if you... People think I make all these memes too. I mean, there's so many memes on my Twitter, and 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 I rarely make memes. People just give them to me. They just send them to me. They have from the beginning. It's crazy. I, mean, I get oh, fifty to a hundred a day. People just send it. This this DMing me memes. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, I I got to read one passage from your book, which is on page seventeen, and I actually highlighted this in pink. I don't know why. Uh, you write, I'm writing this diarrhea so that one day you'll know the truth about me. Most of you know me as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or AOC. Many assume I'm dumber than a donut hole with the IQ of a wet ostrich fart. 
others, the smart ones, believe I'm literally light years ahead in my thinking, making me the smartest bartender alive. Both are wrong. You mad, bro? Oh, my God. It's like been right under your nose this entire time. You know, think about it. I look like an alien, act like an alien, have large alien teeth, a big alien head, huge alien bug eyes, alien ideas, talk like an alien, and protect illegal aliens, oops, undocumented U.S. citizens. Did you ever consider I might literally be an alien? Duh. No, really. I'm like literally an alien from planet, duh. <laughs> uh, I know if he, you know, it, it's it's how crazy somebody like her if she if she ran her own planet it would be you know um, you can have abortions up until the age of eighty four the child reaches eighty four and uh, all, all all males have to get a beta male tramp stamp on at birth <laughs> it's crazy. Well, you know, what you say is that when you look at what people are pulling out there today, you know, you're not too far off the mark because, you know, people have been, New York State now has it, like, just up to the time of birth, you can still have an abortion. Uh, The governor of uh, Virginia wanted to pass that legislation. And you see state after state, liberal states, pushing extremely liberal abortion ideas out there. And, you know, here we got – this, this is something that someone, someone pointed out to me, and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this one. Um, we're told to limit our contact, uh, don't have any elective procedures, you know, stay at home, whatever. But, you know, forget about elective procedures. Yet, I have not heard of a single abortion clinic closing its doors to prevent the spread of this virus. Yeah, that's that's nuts. And and they not only do they want uh, abortion up, up to the day of birth, but they cheer when when they pass it. They cheer and clap and celebrate like it's the the biggest accomplishment in the world. It, it, it it's actually sickening. Yeah, it is. And you you tackle all these issues in a very very humorous way, especially when you're dealing with the 62 different genders that are out there. Um, I had a um, a uh, online um, email debate with a friend of mine who happens to be one of our state senators, and he was pushing for the uh, Equal Rights Amendment, something that was you know, put out there way years, decades ago, uh, really never went too far because we have all the protections we need already in the Bill of Rights, but for some reason... Uh, when it was the rise of the feminist movement in the late 60s, early 70s, they came up with this idea of this equal right amendment. And the way it's written is it protects you based upon your, and this is the exact word they use, sex. Now, if you've got, back then in the 60s and 70s, you knew it was either, you were either a male or a female. There was no questions about it. You know, you were born either one or the other. But now in today's day and age, when you mention the word sex, you could be any one of the L, B, C, D, E, F, G, X, Y, Z, elemental key, all the way down the alphabet, and back again. Genders, sexes. So, you know, how do you determine protection of a sex if you don't even know what the person's sex is? 
You're no longer one or the other. You're anything you choose to be. Yeah, well, well, Rob, Republicans and some of them and conservatives are worried about things that matter. Liberals are always worried about something that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just insignificant stuff that that's meaningless kabuki theater. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you know, when when does it end? It does it end with a, a thousand genders, a million? I mean, you can just do. I could sit here all day long on a piece of paper with my imagination and write down a gender until twenty four hours a day. I mean, that's all it is. It's crazy. Yeah, well, wasn't it a woman? Uh, was it a woman either in Nevada or California? Uh, one of these tree huggers that actually literally married a tree. Do you remember that from a number of years ago? <laughs> I mean, they're always marrying something, a tree, a lamp, <laughs> something. <laughs> Well, Curtis, it sounds like you have a question for our our guest, Cat Turd. Well, more a statement, because even through their madness, and there's plenty of it on the left, they still push their agenda, just like in the case of the stimulus bill that they voted on today. Look at all the pork they added in there. You know, even though some was taken out, the fact that they put it in there tells you that, you know, to them, their agenda is more important than anything else, you know, and they will attach their agenda to anything, any bill, whenever the opportunity avails itself. You know, you have to give it to them. They don't stop. Yeah, they're relentless. And, and, and you know, I hate to say it, but Nancy, Nancy Pelosi is as crazy as she is. She's not dumb. I mean, she she goes in there and she puts in a bunch of ridiculous stuff about the election and just I mean just the craziest stuff that you could imagine and so and then she adds all this pork and then the Republicans say well we're not going to do all this crazy stuff and she says well, okay I'll meet you in the middle we'll just add all the pork and then they you know hundred to nothing vote in five seconds it's, <laughs> they win it was that I mean it's ridiculous you know um, we do have a, a caller. We have a caller in on the line. He is a friend of the show, a former co-host of mine, who decided he wanted more of a political career than a radio career. <laughs> Good afternoon, Cool Mike. How are you today? Great. Annie, you got always got great guests. I've been listening since the start. You know, um, something uh, that was just said is so accurate. Nancy Pelosi throws in a hundred new pork things, knowing she's going to get half of them. So the 50 that really meant nothing to her, uh, they got thrown out. She has no problem. So they met her halfway. No, we got the, the Republicans are so stupid and so ignorant and so spineless, and I'm very disappointed in the president on this. I, I understand he wanted to get something out there. He wants to get the economy moving. But, I mean, to, to do it at what price? I mean, it's my question. Also, this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, comment, but it's true. And uh, because now it's insensitive to say it's the Chinese virus. I I mean, this never ends with them. 24-7, the machine is always You're racist, Mike. Exactly. You're you're racist, Mike. You can't say say Chinese. 650 cases are all the same. They say, officer, I've been verbally assaulted. And they said, did you get a – did you – did you get it on video? And they say no. Did you get it on audio? And they say no. 
did you get um, uh, uh, witnesses? No. Uh, okay, did you get a description? Yes, they were white wearing Trump hats. So it doesn't matter if it happens in Kenya, doesn't matter if it happens in Australia or Cincinnati, Ohio. They all, the same people are out there. And, I mean, it's, it, you know, they just never stop. Just like Curtis said, the machine just never, never stops. It just doesn't. They're so much more relentless than we are. Well, we, we, had, we the Republicans are such wimps. And like you're saying, you're disappointed in Trump. Well, well Trump's in a box, you know. It's not his, it, it's not his job to fight. Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. It's the it's the Congress, the Senate, and the House, and they don't do it. They just go along with them. Once they send a bill to his desk that's a hundred to nothing, I mean, what's he going to do? You know, he's in a box. He can't he can't fight their battles for them. That's that's Mitch McConnell. And I mean, we got the majority in the Senate, and they run it. Let's face it, because of people like Mitt Romney, Susan Collins. I mean, these people are. It doesn't even matter. We we could get a sixty. Uh, vote lead, they'd still run it. Let me let me ask everyone here, Curtis. Let me ask the guests to Curtis and Annie. Okay, you're the president. Are you going to sign this bill, yes or no? I veto it. I'm not signing it. Me too. I'm in agreement. And I would call them out on the key. Yeah, I, I would bring back the line item veto the same way Reagan did. And do that line item veto like Reagan did. Just keep on crossing it off and then sign what you want to stay in. That's what I would do. It, it, if he does veto it, what he should do is come out have a, and address the nation, not a news conference, an official address the nation, and sit there and tell everybody, look, I want to get all this money to you guys, every bit of it. If it's going to be $2,000, you know, the businesses, small businesses, and the people are going to get it. This is what Nancy Pelosi and them, and I'd sit there for 45 minutes on live TV and read every single one of them out. And, I mean, that's how you got to fight them. And it, and it doesn't it seem like he's fighting them by himself constantly. I mean, nobody else is fighting. But that, that that's yeah, what he needs too. to do if he's going to veto it. Yeah, didn't Mitch yeah, McConnell like, says, well, like we we got to swallow it and pass it anyway, even though he knew that there was going to be all this crap in there. He says, well, it doesn't really matter. Just we're going to swallow it and deal with it later. Really? You know, once it stuff goes into place, it, it will never, ever leave. Now, go ahead, Curtis. I'm sorry. Again, I'm chopping you off, baby. Well, just think about it. In the next stimulus bill, and there's going to be another one, AOC wants um, illegals to get some. Uh, of they are getting it, Curtis. They are getting it. Like uh, there's a fortune uh, allocated for something along those lines. I forget what it was. I read so many of those lines, but all I kept thinking to myself was, I cannot believe this. I mean, we're all in the wrong business. Just one of those things would make us filthy rich. I don't know why we're not corrupt. I mean, it just pays to be dishonest. <laughs> well, see, that was one of the things I got into fishing contest with the AOC because she she posted something to the effect that um, some people, some people with social security numbers will get a check, uh, insinuating that you know it doesn't matter if not every American citizen has a social security number. Oh, really? They're now issuing them the day that you are born. And no longer applying when you turn 18. 
Uh, it's mandatory by law that you get an assigned Social Security number. So every American citizen, every citizen has a Social Security number. And then she goes, uh, but all those, all those uh, undocumented workers are not going to see any checks. Um, so they're, they're paying all this money in on taxes, and they're not going to see any comebacks. I'm like, uh, yeah. So you're talking about those that committed a crime to come into our country and then stay here illegally. And, oh, by the way, the same illegal alien that stole my girlfriend's Social Security identification and got a job using her identification, uh, no taxes were paid. You know, when she filed her taxes, she was told she owed money because no taxes were being pulled out of the paycheck earned by this illegal alien. So you're talking about them getting a stimulus check over an American citizen or a legal resident of the United States that do pay the taxes? I never got an answer back. Go on, Kat. <laughs> it's just, it, I'm with your with your other the other people on the line. It's just, it's just so infuriating that it just it just makes you want to scream all this stuff. And um, I mean, how much? AOC is always, you know, we need to get how much of her, her paycheck is she donating? I mean, Trump's donating all his. Is she is she is she as usual? Liberal wants to give your money away, but they want they don't give a, they don't give one percent to anybody of their own money. Yeah, you, you mean the same AOC that never opened up a congressional office in the district she allegedly represents? Oh wait a minute, she does have an office in the district. It's just that it's not open. There's never anyone there. And then when she was elected, someone tried to do a search to find out if she actually lived in the district that she's elected to, and they couldn't find an address for her, not even on her election you know, filing. An address was in the district she is now representing. So, you know, AOC is quite a character to write about. And you do it so brilliantly in this book. I'm telling people they've got to go onto your website. It's ilovecatturd.com. I'm serious. That is the name of the site, ilovecatturd.com. And, and <laughs> get the book, The Adventures of Cow Farts, literally the dumbest book you'll ever read. Because you, you go after every single segment of the liberal left, including mainstream media, saying that they are from the planet Fib. <laughs> like at first when I read the line, yeah. I'm going, FIB. Do you know? Oh, well, FIB. And it took me about <laughs> talk about being dumb. I was born a blonde. I go, what's FIB? And then it all of a sudden dawned to me, duh, <laughs> Fib. They're lying from the planet, lying, <laughs> dirty rats. <laughs> oh man, it is, it is just too funny because sometimes even when you're reading it. You have to go back to understand the joke that you just threw on someone, and then it becomes even funnier going, how did I miss it? Yeah. Yeah, she she gets protected by Twitter, too, you know. I don't believe for a minute she gets, you know, uh, 500,000 likes and three hours on every tweet. I don't believe it for a minute. I mean, come on, she gets more than Trump, you know, five times more every time she tweets something. It just, and you know how bad we get, we get, we get uh, censored, and, and, and my likes get taken 500 at a time, and my 
followers get taken three, four hundred a day, you know. It's amazing. I got 170-something thousand followers, as many as they take every day. I mean, sometimes 500 a day. I'll have to get 600 to get 100. <laughs> Never ends. You know, I, I stopped looking at how many followers I have. I have no idea, and I've got multiple accounts, but Twitter doesn't realize they're all related. So every now and then I bounce between one of them, so they don't quite catch me all the time. And neither do my followers. One. Yeah. <laughs> One's plenty for me. <laughs> I don't say you do more than one. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, you can go after everyone. And I, I had a, a friend over at the house just the other day. Um, he's running for our local county council, and we were discussing his, his election. And I told him about your book. And then I told him about one of the characters in your book, Spartacus. <laughs> a cow that farts oxygen. And the unique way in which you were able to get AOC to fly on Spartacus and still have air to breathe. And I'm not going to give this away. <laughs> I'm telling people, they're going to have to go onto your website, ilovescaptured.com, and, and get your book. Which they, I believe they can download it from there, can't they? Yeah, yeah, it's on, it's on Kindle in, in any kind of ebook. I also have a I am a science fiction writer too, so I have I released a science fiction book Friday, which is doing really good, uh, Rabbit Skin. Um, so I got two books on there now. Well, you're gonna have to send me a copy of Rabbit Skin to review, and then we'll just have you back on. Now, Captured, do you have a first name that I can use? Uh, I don't want to use my name now. <laughs> You could have made one my up. First name's Cat. My last name's Turd. <laughs> <laughs> my first name's Cat. My last name's Turd. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it, it is a fun book to read, and, and I love watching your tweets. People find you on Twitter at Cat Turd and the number two, Cat Turd 2, uh, because you just do not hold back. You go after people left and right, and like I said, I found you when you got into a pissing contest with uh, Ann Coulter. And it's funny, every time you do, they lose. You seem to win 101% of the time. <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever happened to Ann Coulter? I don't see her much anymore. She's just, I, I don't know, she's just, she, she, she's crazy. <laughs> I never liked her to begin with, so she's kind of like my Twitter immortal enemy. You buried her in the litter box. Washington Times, Washington <laughs> Well, Washington Times actually had a headline that said, Outsmarted by Ann Coulter, Outsmarted by a Turd. It has been a pleasure. And as soon as I read your other book, we'll have you uh, back on because you're too much fun. And I used to be a huge sci fi fan. So you actually throw a little sci fi into this book, um, which I, I, I had so much fun reading. And I'm telling people to go onto your website, I com. And follow you over on Twitter, captured too. God bless you, sir, and and thank you for joining us. Thank, thank, thank you for having me. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Yeah, All right. Ooh, looks like we have uh, our next guest on, and I do believe this should be Savannah Nider. Did I say the last name correctly? Yes, you did. Ah, uh, this uh, I understand. That you're under quarantine right now? Yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) 
as are a lot of us. <laughs> oh, no. No, that's not fair. That's not fun to you. So here now, I just got you a book that you can read while you're sitting there at home <laughs> with your husband locked in, in isolation. How's that sound? <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely been a blast. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, uh, Mike had sent me over, and I understand that you have uh, one song out, uh, but you have been doing a lot of singing and other stuff uh, in the interim. So you have one song that's published, which we'll play a little bit later on. Uh, But I did a little hunting and a little digging. And I came across this little class, and I thought I would play this one for you. Let me see if I can get my notes up here, because I wrote down what the name of the song was, and now I forgot what I did with the sheet. Oh, and <laughs> now talk about, talk about being organized. Um, this song is called Titanium. And I, you're, I'm probably yes. going to embarrass you, but you put up on YouTube some of your music. And uh, I, I found you an extremely talented young woman. No wonder why uh, Mike grabs you up and has you now with MTS management. I mean, I've known Mike, uh, oh, good Lord, um, we are in our 10th year of broadcasting, and I think I've known Mike that long. <laughs> hey, that is awesome. He is, he is such a great guy, let me tell you. Yes, he is. He is. And I, uh, I've been with him, and he's been sending me artists such as yourself, and a lot of them have shot all the way up because he's, he's got a talent, and I'm glad that you're under his tutelage. But this is what you posted up on Facebook, if I can get my mixer board up here. And you just threw this out there because, you know, you've got people that follow and listen to you, and you threw this out uh, to your listeners. So let's play your song, Titanium. For this, you going to do Titanium, so you guys join
beautiful. And how appropriate. You know, here you are in um, quarantine. You need to be titanium. Holy cow. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Do you have a studio in your house? Uh, no. That, that was actually at my parents' house in Nebraska. Um, it is actually part garage, part studio. So, yes. That that is like a little studio section of my parents' garage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because who do you have playing the music with you? Is that your husband? Yes, yeah, he's he's playing the music, and it's it's just off of an iPhone, and then I'm just singing on the microphone. Yep. Wow, wow. So, what made you decide to get into music? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I always was listening to music as I was very, very, very young. I mean, two two or three years old. And my mom was always playing music, but my dad was actually in a band for a really long time. And he was just in a local band and played around the towns, you know, around my hometown. And that's really where I got exposed to lots of different genres of music. Um, and I, that's where I actually got started performing was with him, which is very, very cool. So I can... I can happily say I was, you know, doing music with my family. Um, yeah, I was always really, really involved with music, and I have to give a pretty big shout-out to my dad for that because he was a huge reason why I really, really got into music at such a young age. Yeah, because you came from a real small town in Nebraska of only about 900 people, and, you know, at, at the age of 15, you were already – are working alongside a lot of a Grammy award-winning artists. I, I, that yes. is phenomenal. <laughs> at the age of fifteen. Hey. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you. It was uh, it it was very cool. You know, at that time, you know, being that young, I I didn't really know, you know, a whole lot about you know the music business aspect of things. But you know what? I'm glad that I learned from such a young age because now where I'm at at 24 years old, you know, I have, um, you know, such a bigger mindset of how this all works. So I'm really glad that I was able to get that experience at such a young age. You're so old. You're 24. Oh, my God. <laughs> Savannah. Oh. Savannah. Go ahead, Curtis. Who are, yeah. some, of your, who are some of your musical uh, inspirations? Some of my biggest music aspirations. I was a huge fan of Shania Twain and Celine Dion growing up. And they are still my biggest icons today. Uh, mainly mainly uh, Celine Dion. Um, that's who my mom was always listening to, and that's my mom's favorite artist of all time. And I really just became very attracted to the emotion of her singing and how she sang all of her songs. And that is what I realized I wanted to do as I grew up and pursued music, is I really wanted to make sure that people were captured by my voice through my songs. Well, I was going to ask, uh, did you have any professional training at all with your voice, or is it just listening to other artists and imitating their range? You know, I had singing lessons when I was about 10, but I only did that for maybe a couple months, and they were trying to kind of get me doing opera, and I wasn't really about that. And so after that, no, I never had professional training, uh, vocal coaching. It was just more of listening to all the artists that were on the radio or 
wherever it may be, and I just learned from that. Yep. Yeah, it, it's funny because I did take some lessons at one point, and, of course, <laughs> he threw me out uh, because I would make an appointment because I wouldn't show up. He happened to have been an opera singer in the New York Met. Uh, he was a, a bass uh, and uh, he was bass and tenor. He actually went two ranges, and he was he was so pissed at me because he, he felt that I had a potential, and you know, I didn't care. I wasn't going to make money out of this. But you right. Have and the initiative to 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 want to do this, and you pursued it, and it takes a lot of courage and a lot of guts to do that, to put yourself out there and to do what you're doing and not have stage fright. That is very true, and that a lot of that, you know, non-stage fright, you know, did come from performing with my dad at such a young age, and I just ended up really liking it, and I never had that stage fright. So I'm so glad I was so blessed with that because, you know, there are a lot of people that want to pursue music, but they do have that stage fright. So I am so glad that, you know, I unfortunately, you know, I don't have that, and I'm just so comfortable up there, and I'm I'm so blessed to to be like that. Yeah, you see, you've got a beautiful range, and you know, I love that you can go from an alto up into a soprano, and you do that very gracefully. I had a hard time with that when I was growing up because the chorus teacher wanted me to stay as an alto and never would let me exercise the range. So for a long time, doing the transition to slide up, um, I had to stop and then just treat myself as if I was two different singers, one an alto, one a soprano. I had a hard time making right. that that transition, and if you know what I'm talking about, it's not always easy, but you do it so beautifully. It's definitely not. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, you kind of figure out what your voice is like. You know, you sing all these different types of songs, and that's what I really tried to do as an artist is to really try to adventure out and really try different songs that maybe are a little bit out of my comfort zone, but you know what? I always surprise myself, and I'm like, you know what? For the longest time, I was like, I could never do that song. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, I tried, and I'm like, hey, you know, that wasn't so bad. So that is definitely something that I really try to do, you know, as the years go on, as I really try to go out of my comfort zone and really challenge myself. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I would find that I would have a, the glitch, and I would keep at it, keep at it, and keep at it until I found I could do the slide, do the movement between the, the two different uh, altos and sopranos. And, you know, over time, you do overcome it. But somewhere in the back of my mind, it always sits there with me. It's like, am I going to make it or am I going to screw this up big time? Right. But, you know, right. <laughs> but, you know, I, another thing I pulled out of the hat because, you know, I Mike knows I do my homework. So I, I look for stuff. I look for little little tidbits that I can have on my guest. And how I found yeah. out that you were inquiring is because you're up there with your followers and you're communicating them all through the internet. And this is how I found out that you were, you were actually, were in quarantine. quarantine. So I'm going to pull this one out on you. Uh, You sing the song Tennessee whiskey. And what I love about what you did here is that you're talking to your fans there on the, I, I assume that was up on Facebook. Yeah. Facebook live. Yep. Okay, so you're talking and you're communicating with them and having a conversation, and someone asked you for a song, and 
Let me get my little mixer board up back again. And this is you from your living room, which I, the quality of the sound I found amazing because you were doing this at home and on the Internet. So this is you singing Tennessee Whiskey. So, folks, this is Savannah without practice, at home, under quarantine. God bless this woman. Well, I'm going to start with one. Um, I'm going to do Tennessee Whiskey by Chris Stapleton. This was Emma Van Winkle's request. And so since I know that one so much from my downtown job, we're going to start with that one, okay?
Especially Emma. There you go. I love awesome. it. I love it so much. Absolutely. Uh, it was so much fun well, to hear that. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, thank and, and you. Know that, that. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you're, you're sitting there in your living room. you got the laptop or computer open in front of you. And just out of yep. the nowhere, you, you sing this blues song. i like, <laughs> was this something you were prepared? Or is just that it just... It just happened. No, these are these are just songs that I knew off the top of my head, and you know I have a I have a job downtown, and obviously it's not happening right now because of the coronavirus. But I I always have so many songs up in my head that I've sang so many times, and actually that was a request from someone. So I was like, you know what? I already know it. I'm gonna sing this one. So that's what I was trying to do with all my fans is to really interact with them and have fun with them while a lot of us are being quarantined right now. So um, that's what I was trying to do was just kind of lighten the mood and have some fun. Well, you know, Bigfoot posted in the chat room that he said, this song makes me want to get a drink. You just recently went into studio and, and cut a song, but when I was reading your bio, um, when you got married, you actually wrote your first song and you sang it at your wedding. I couldn't find it. I wish I could have. Otherwise, I would be playing this uh, for you. But, you know, you, you write your own music, don't you? Your own song. Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. The song was called Until Always, and you can actually find it on YouTube. It is on YouTube. Um, yes, I sang that at my wedding. That was actually the first time I had performed an original song in front of anybody. So the fact that I did it at my own wedding in front of my own family and friends was just an amazing, humbling moment. I mean, it was, I'll never forget it. Well, you know, um, like I said, you had just recently gone into the studio. As a matter of fact, I love the description that your family was all outside of the the actual room staring at you, watching the magic happen. So you just recently cut your first your first EP back in November. Um, this yes. was your your, your your crowning moment, it seems. Your launch. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. It was awesome to have you know my parents there. My grandpa was there. My husband was there, and they all just got to watch me record and it's just so cool you know as I'm singing 
and I just get to look through that glass and like my whole support system is right there. It it was awesome. It was so much fun. In country music, we find that there's a unique situation that you don't find mostly in any other area of the music industry, the support of family and the support of faith. That's exactly right, yes. Um, I have had a huge support system ever since I was little, um, especially my parents and my now husband and my and my grandfather. Um, they have been with me since day one. I mean, ever since I wanted to pursue music and keep singing, like, they've never, they've never backed down. They've always been there for me. And when they knew I was coming to Nashville, I mean, there was no hesitation. They were right there with me. Well, we've got just a few minutes left. And tell me about this song that you did recently cut uh, in the studio. And I believe it was produced by Brian Cole uh, and a yes. Grammy Award winner. Steve, I cannot pronounce his last name. Steve I'm Mark sure Antonio. I'm half Italian. <laughs> See, I should, I'm half Italian. I should be able to just say that name. Um, That's okay. Tell us about this song. It's called We Are Us. Yes, it is called We Are Us. It, it is a fantastic song, and I love it so much because it has such a broad meaning, and people can interpret it in their own unique way. You know, We Are Us could mean your family. It could mean, you know, your pets. It could mean, you know, if you have a sick loved one, um, it it literally can mean whatever you want it to mean. And I thought it was so awesome because it reminds me of so many aspects of my life, but I also knew this song could touch other people as well. And obviously that was one of my goals with whatever music I put out there is I wanted to be able to touch everybody else, not only myself, not only connect with it myself, but also connect with others. And that's what I love so much about it. People can find you, your name, Savannah Nider, N-I-D-E-R, music, savannahnidermusic.com. That's the same yes. that you use up Facebook and Instagram so people can follow you there also. And they can they can get your song um, by going to your website and find out more about you. And what I love is that you sing so naturally. And you sing, and when you're singing, you watch, I watch you, and I see you have your whole entire being into that song, and that's what makes a really good musician. Because um, I used to play classical violin, so if you didn't feel the music as you were playing it or if you were singing it, it came across. It became very yes. obvious you're doing something wrote not from the heart and mind, and it comes across in your performances, whether it's that little studio in your, your family's garage or whether or not <laughs> you're doing it over on, on Facebook for your fans or now with this recording. So, Savannah, I want to thank you for joining us. And when you get more music out there, have Mike give me a call and look we'll at you back on as soon as possible because you are such a phenomenal rising star out there in Nashville. God bless you for the hard work you do. Well, no thank doubt. you so much. I really appreciated this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on here. All right, and let's get to your other song up here, if I can get my little soundboard going. And here is We Are Us. Savannah Nidler, check out her website, savannahnidlermusic.com. I've been sitting here wondering about this world. What's been going on? 
It's all boys and girls Used to put on the news Learn something through the ladies Walk too many facts It's never right And hey, there's a guarantee Savannah Nider, music.com, also up on Facebook and Instagram. What a lovely young lady, Curtis. <clears throat> Curtis, did I lose you again? You didn't okay. lose me. That I was really was... good. <laughs> I really enjoyed, I really well, I enjoyed that. And I you know, Annie, uh, yes. I did yes, make a very, comment, very I did make a comment, Annie, if you remember, when we always had guests, Curtis, used to cringe when they were always really good looking that I wouldn't say something to embarrass her like, man. <laughs> well, I'll give you another chance to do that because I believe our next guest is up on the line. And I believe this is Ashley Puckett. Good afternoon, Ashley. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you doing today? 
All right. Um, we just had Savannah Nider on, and she's being handled by Mike, and so are you. I mean, I've known Mike. I told her for about 10 years, ever since I started doing the show. And uh, he, he has a great group of uh, musicians that he picked up. I mean, the guy's got the Midas touch. It really does. And, uh, you know, just within the little bit of time that we've been working together, um, I mean, he's done so much for me, so I'm so grateful to have fallen in his hands, really. Yeah, I, I find that you have a very, very distinctive voice. And it, it's hard to find that today because, like you and Savannah, uh, you're extremely talented, but too many people try to imitate someone else's sound. And what both of you do is you've developed your own and made it flow through several different genres so beautifully. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you really have to um, be yourself and really try to make your own sound from the gate because you're right. I mean, otherwise you just get lost in the mix and there's really nothing there for you because you sound too much like everyone else. So that's really important. Yeah, now, um, Mike sent me the uh, songs to your new album called Bulletproof. Uh, Tell us about this album and, and how you came about to do it. So um, the the album itself is called Never Say Never, and uh, that kind of came about, um, it was really through a mutual friend that I ended up um, meeting my producer and my engineer and um, some of the musicians. So um, it all kind of really happened at the right time, at the right place. Um, An album itself has been a lifelong dream of mine, um, something that I've really been working toward my entire life since I was very young. And um, it was just a really cool process after meeting the guys, um, working with some of the songwriters and putting together an album that I thought, you know, 13 tracks on there took a lot of time to make sure that they were the right song for me, something I wanted to sing about, um, and really something I could relate to because at the end of the day, like we had just talked about, you really have to have something that your audience can relate to, but more importantly, something you yourself can relate to because you know, what I wanted to do all my life was just share music and share feeling and, you know, just share that with the world. And if you're not sharing something that's meaningful, you're not going to go all that far. So um, it was really important to me. It was really cool putting it all together. And Never Say Never is one of my favorites on the album, and which that one became the album title kind of Never Say Never. If you want something bad enough, it's it can happen. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a fantastic album. <clears throat> and I was uh, mentioning to Savannah that I find in, in country music, uh, especially people that Mike handles, there is always a reoccurring theme of love, family, and faith. And I see this in your album, too. Yes, and uh, honestly, romance and love is pretty much what I gravitate toward. So I'm sure that's not going to stop in, you know, God willing, any future albums. Um, Romance is one of my favorite things to sing about. Well, I'm going to be Cool Mike, my former co-host, to the punch, because I'm going to ask you, uh, who came up with the um, Mae West look? The the album look? Now, your style, your clothing, and the way you're posing and how you're being posed in different uh, areas that the pictures I got, uh, who came up with your May West? May West? Do you know who May West is, though? Uh, no, no, I'm not following. 
You might be able to May, May yeah, for that. Uh, killed it. Killed it. Killed it. May West, very famous actress uh, during starting in the, the 20s, 30s, 40s, and I believe into the 50s when she did her last film. Uh, very sexy. Yeah. Come up and see me. Sassy. Boy. Yes. That's <laughs> I got uh, down. You're going to have to go to Netflix or to YouTube and pull up some Mae West films. Um, Matter of fact, uh, I had to change my nickname, which was originally the Radio Chick, to the Radio Chickadee. And Mae West did a film called uh, My Little Chickadee with W.C. Fields. So now my new intro is going to have a little Mae West and a little W.C. Fields talking about My Little Chickadee. But you really have to, because if you look at your photo on your album, and then you look at Mae West, you're going to go, what did you do to me, Mike? <laughs> well, now I'm curious, so I will definitely have to check it out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the photo shoot was a lot of fun, um, just a lot of um, – black and white has always been one of my favorites. Um, any selfie I take, any, you know, poses out with friends, I love turning them black and white. Um, so, believe it or not, that was not the idea, and that was not going to be um, my choice for the album. Although once I started looking at it, I, I basically said, you know, that's all I've ever loved was black and white. And I think it's just so timeless and very elegant the way it worked. Um, so it was really just trying a lot of different poses and um, having some fun with the photo shoot um, with the photographer. So it was kind of a collective effort with those. <laughs> you know, um, I, 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 went through all your songs and listened to all of them and I've got notes all over the place and I'm going to hold up the list in front of the camera so they can see I have a full page of handwritten notes on your songs because <laughs> I had a lot of fun you know uh, listening to them uh one of the ones that I actually fell in love with is called Medicine and it's got a really nice folk sound you go from blues to country to folk um and you transition very very nicely um what I made a note of is that when I was listening to the song, it struck me as if it was a prayer to God. And you actually used the term baby in it. But wherever I heard baby, I kept on thinking, Lord. I don't know if, if you intended that, but it's, it's how it hit me. Right. Um, well, first, thank you for the compliments. <laughs> um, but Medicine, um, being the first um, baby single, was a really special one. Um, for many reasons. And, and you're right. Um, you know, when I sing it personally, I think of someone that I can always turn to when I'm in any type of emotion that I need somebody by my side. But, but you're right. I mean, some of these songs on the album can be interpreted different ways. And I love songs like that because you really have an opportunity to touch a multitude of people and you have an opportunity to reach a lot of different audience. Um, I love Christian music too. Um, so it's kind of cool. It's actually not something I've thought about with that song. Um, so it is really neat to have, you know, somebody give me that feedback, but um, it, it no, was a really sweet tune, really something that. Yeah. It would be interesting if you did it as a re-recording uh, as putting, substituting the word Lord for the name Lord for the title baby. That'd be very interesting how you would re-record that. Hmm. Give you something to ponder there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is something, our, something to think about. 
uh, to let our listeners know what we're talking about, I'm going to play that song, uh, Medicine, and if I can get my act together here and get my little mixer board to behave. And, of course, I have to think <laughs> of the correct mouse. I'm using two computers, and I keep, and one is a pen mouse and the other one is a click mouse. I keep on picking up the wrong mouse. Boy, I need cat turd back here. All right, this is Ashley Puckett. <laughs> And her bulletproof album, Medicine. Actually, what a sweet song it is. It is so sweet. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, you know, I had a laugh because as I was looking at your songs, um, 
you also, well, you had some that dealt with uh, the trials and tribulations of certain relationships. And uh, one of them is this, this title song to your album, Bulletproof. And I put down here as my notes, Cowboy Rock and Bad Boy. We, as girls, <laughs> we always manage to find the bad boy. And you know it's wrong. You know you, you really shouldn't go down that road, but yet we just get sucked into it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how we do it all the time, but uh, you're absolutely right. Oh, man. So, you know, I, it, what caused you to write that? Did you have that type of experience, or did you just, you know, want to have fun with something? <laughs> so um, there's actually a couple writers on that one, so I myself did not pen that one, um, although I wish I did. Um, it, it, I chose that song um, to include on the album because um, I have um, been in, you know, situations like that. Like I mentioned earlier, every song on the album I did hand select as, you know, to make sure that it's something that I've either, either seen or um, had went through myself. And Bulletproof is one that you're right. We always find those um, those men and you know, I think it's a manly thing when they just try to hide off their feelings and not really show you who they are and they're trying to be somebody else. And it's just telling them, hey, just let it go. We're all, you know, we're all human here. And, you know, I just want to see your true self. And Bulletproof was a really fun song in the studio. And uh, it was just a really, it's a really fun one to perform as well. Um, because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of people that can relate to that kind of scenario. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we, like I said, we all have those little bad boys. And I remember when I used to be your young age, <laughs> um, you know, crying my <laughs> eyes out because I ended up with a bad boy. <laughs> boy. The good Lord said, no, 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 you go down the wrong road. <laughs> you set me straight. <laughs> but uh, just so that people can have fun with it. <laughs> Um, right, let's, this is Bulletproof, uh, if I can get my little, the correct mouse. All right, Bulletproof by Ashley Puckett from the title album of Bulletproof. But you always seem to walk away without a scratch. Madness and mayhem roll like the water off your back. You're the only one who ain't bleeding after the crash. Well, you want the world to Get through, give me something real Not a man of steel I'm not crazy, not a man of steel 
end of that, I played it twice just to make sure I wasn't missing something. I always expected to hear a, a gunshot at the end of that. And I said, whoa, that would have really been something on that song. You know? Yeah, no, now that you're mentioning it. Yep, might have missed something there. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I'm going to have you remix the whole album. You keep this up. <laughs> I think if I, uh, if I did a video for that one, you know, that might be a cool ending to the video. Oh, sure, with a pair of six shooters on your hip? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that smoking gun. You know, I, I love the, the guitar work in there, the, the drums and the guitar work that, that, that just complemented the attitude. Because there's no other way to explain that song. It's just it's a song with attitude. Right. No, I 100% agree. And to be honest with you, that's part of, um, the fun we've had with this one um, when recording it is um, Adam Ernst was actually the um, the guitar player and the drummer um, throughout most of the album. So a lot of that I have to thank to, uh, to him. But um, he did a really good job capturing, you know, the emotions with a ton of these songs. And, and yes, this one in particular, um, just really kind of putting out that hardcore woman, you know, want to want to say something and I'm going to say it right this time in these three minutes and um, he did a good job with that. You know, it's funny because, you know, we mentioned you doing a music video. I can actually see you doing a two-step dance with whoever that bulletproof guy is as if it's like a tug of war. 
that was, oh, that, and then with the six guns at the end, oh, good luck. Mike is going to turn around and kill me. He goes, what are you, what ideas are you putting in this woman's head? <laughs> <laughs> well, it also led me to the question of when, when you put an album like this together, uh, some people will just take the whole group, go into the studio, and cut it in just a couple of sessions with everyone there. But it sounds like you do it, but you lay tracks. Is that how you're doing it? Right. Uh, we had actually, um, we spent about a year putting this together, and uh, which contributes to a lot of the excitement now that everyone's getting to hear it. Um, but it was, um, you know, Adam did a lot of the tracks, so obviously, you know, it had to be layered, um, a lot of time for him um, to be in the studio. Um, we did have some other musicians from Nashville play, um, you know, various of the bass guitar um, we had somebody else playing piano. So we did have a lot of different musicians involved in the project. Um, but we also had background vocalists. So there was a lot of layers, um, you know, and a lot of different things that took a, a lot of time. Um, I think we we were working maybe two times a week for a good bit of time, um, sometimes three, you know, just to, to get all this together. But uh, there's a... There's a lot more than even I really thought <laughs> going into it, and then not even you know mentioning the mixing and mastering. So um, yeah, we spent a lot of time putting it together um, for a big finish, I guess I could say. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, it's an amazing album, and I, like I said, I love how each song has a little bit of a different style to it. And my co-host got knocked out, so I think he is now back with us. Curtis, are you back with us? Yes, I'm back. <laughs> I don't know what's going on down here. But anyway, I did get a chance well, we, to look at um, her picture on, um, what is it, Bing. And she does kind of look like uh, <laughs> Mae West in, in that, you know, particular <laughs> outfit. Yeah. It's what nice. it struck me. Because Mae West had that attitude with men. And especially when I'm listening to something like Bulletproof, you know, I could see her doing this to one of the guys is like, yeah, right. You know, as if I'm going to have to chase you. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, she's now that we're talking about said, my story um, with men, I, I can't wait to look that one up. <laughs> yeah, she's the one that said, when I'm good, when I'm good, I'm bad. And when I'm bad, I'm better. That's the kind of uh, personality <laughs> <Yeah>. she has. <laughs> yeah, she was the original heartbreaker. Now, um, I found that, you know, you had different types of songs because some people put together an album and it's all around just one theme, or whether it's green environment or, um, I don't know, you know, riding out west. But you have, like I said, a basic theme that runs through yours, which is love, family, and faith. And one of the songs you put on here was about a mirror. And how odd it is because my husband and I are redoing our living room and my sister had brought me up a mirror that had been hanging in my grandmother's house. And my mother had had it hanging in our house and she eventually refinished it to bring out a lot of the beautiful features in the mirror. And now it's sitting in my living room waiting to be hung up on the wall in an area of uh, prominence. And when I listened to that song, Oh my God! It's it's like the memories that just came flooding back, and I I, I found the song so moving I started to cry. 
<laughs> well, I'm I'm glad it was that touching. Um, you know, it's really cool hearing um, you know, stories like this. Um, because, you know, I didn't have the closest thing I had to a mirror like that, which always comes into my mind when I sing it. Um, my mother uh, actually had handmade a really large mirror and we had it walking in the door and it had a bunch of seashells all the way around it and um, I have no idea where that mirror is to this day <laughs> but um, you know that was the one that always comes to my mind so something as simple as a mirror you know it is another one of those things that you know once you hear it I think when you look at that mirror from time to time you're always going to think of that song or you're always at least if you don't think of a song or think of me you'll think of those memories because you heard it once and that's kind of that's all I ever wanted to do with music. Well, it, it's funny because what I get in a lot of the music that you, you've put together on this album is the power of your history, your family history. And I had a laugh because as I was listening to it, I'm looking around my living room, and you said, you know, an object can bring back a flood of memories. And I've got a 1932 RCA uh, upright uh, radio. I mean, it's it's almost in original condition, and I remember my father working on it, replacing the tubes. And this was sitting, this radio was sitting in my grandmother and grandfather's house in New Jersey for years until, you know, they both passed away, and then it came to us, and now I have it. And on the other side of the living room, because there's a fireplace, and one side's the RCA, the other side is an old Victrola upright um, record player. And you know, the one that you start to crank the hand to make the record play. And mm-hmm. every time I look at that, I remember the day my mother and I carried it from my grandmother's attic down two flights of stairs to put it in the car to take home with us. And I have that there. <laughs> so, you know, when, when I look, look in my living room, there's memories of family all over the place. There's little bits here and there. But remembering where you came from, is very, very important. It helps show you who you are. It is, very much so. So, you know, this is what comes out in the song of the, the mirror, because my notes here say, reflections of self and family past, the importance of family and remembering. And this is what I got out of that song. So if people want to sit back, relax, I will play, if I can find, here it is, uh, Mirror by Ashley Ashley Puckett on her new album that just recently came out called Bulletproof. So let's get the board keyed up and let's get the song playing.
were the uh, the people that you like admired that. most when you uh, when you were um, deciding that you wanted to become a singer? Who who influenced you? Uh, well, quite a few. <laughs> so um, it was always growing up. Um, anyone from the Dixie Chicks to Leanne Rhymes, um, Miranda Lambert, now even. Um, Patsy Klein, Carol King, so I did have a lot of influencers. Patsy Klein. Mm. Oh, who doesn't love Patsy Klein? Oh man. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And and her story Queen. is just so amazing. A, a phenomenal lady she was. Um Yeah, I, I had another question in my mind and just went right out I just had a Joe Biden moment. I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> Go ahead, Curtis. Something. Oh, gee, Joe Biden. Oh. Curtis. Uncle Joe. <laughs> he he, he <laughs> says he was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania after he left the Senate. Oh, my God. He was bestowed an honorary after he was vice president. <laughs> oh, man. Now, um, another song that I had picked up, and I made a notation about uh, the guitar work in it. Now, did you have the same artists throughout the entire album, or did you just go through you know, different people for different songs? Um, the guitar, I believe, was 100% Adam the whole way through. Mm. Because it, it, it is a phenomenal sound that he puts out there, and it's so unique, depending upon which song. I mean... I'd love to to learn more about him because what he did it helped to uh, bring this album out and give it a full life and body. Very talented man. You can tell him I said so. <laughs> he is. He so very much is. His ego goes too far. Um, well, one of the songs I picked out was one titled "What's Her Name," and you know, somewhere along the way, most of us end up in a relationship, and then all of a sudden find that the person that we are in love is out there. Having more fun than you're actually having, and it's the 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 wreckage that is left behind because someone can't be faithful to someone they love, and it comes out in this song. Um, but what I love is the the type of sound that the two of you have put together on it, and it, it, it's like a challenging, like okay, you know, uh, I, it's all falling apart, uh, just. Tell me the name. Who can I blame? Because somehow or other, I found that you weren't blaming the person that cheated on you rather than the person he cheated with. That's how I, I, I came across to me. Yeah, that was uh, that was a very interesting song um, that we knew right off the bat. Um, the guys really wanted me to keep on the album. And if anything, right next to Bulletproof, it is one of those um, more hardcore songs you can really put a, a ton of emphasis on and uh, a lot of emotion into. Um, so for me, um, you know, that's actually not even for me. It's a crowd favorite every time I play the album. Um, I got a lot of um, people that pick that one out as one of their favorites. So um, it was a really unique one um, to be able to put a lot of, um, you know, artistry in, especially for the instruments. And um, the background vocalists, too, I, I think they add – that song a ton um early on when we were working on the recording it sounded great but the more that we all kind of got together and shared ideas um 
you know, those background vocals, I think, changed the song in such an amazing way, um, you know, that the song was just so different before. It, it's kind of funny how just one or two little things um, can really make or break a song, and I, th- I think they helped make that song. Yeah, it, it, it's an amazing group that you have worked with. Now, who did the backup vocals on this album? Um, so I had two, well, three um, background vocalists, um, Heidi Engel, um, Tammy Petty, and uh, believe it or not, my producer, Brian Cole, did some uh, as well. Um, in Medicine, you'll hear him, um, I believe, on Be My Baby. He did some background vocals on there, too. Wow. Wow, amazing. So I want to let people hear this because, you know, I actually loved the song. Uh, when I was in college, I dated the guy who was also dating someone else, and I found out eventually. And uh, I guess my revenge is that when I got engaged to my first husband, I left the announcement on the windshield of his car. (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) You're only 20. You know, you do stupid stuff like that. But um, (laughs) I I thought about this, and I said, hmm, yeah, I've done stuff stupid like this. Well, anyway, this is your song, Ashley Puckett, from your Bulletproof album, and it's called What's Her Name?
love about the start of the song is the drum work that's done in there. It sounds like a war path. It sounds like war drums. And then towards the end of the song, he comes back with starting to sound like the war path drums again. Uh, was that intentional? Did, was that a sound that he actually wanted to put in there, or is it just happened? Um, I, I'm going to imagine it was intentional. Um, he's really talented. Um, he put a lot of creativity into a lot of this stuff. So, um, I'm guessing it was probably intentional, um, just to really show off a, a different, um, different angle of the song. No, you know, it, it's just an amazing app. Go ahead, Curtis. Who comes up with those wonderful lyrics? So, uh, again, this is another one that I really wish that I wrote. And uh, if you know me on a daily basis, you probably think I did. But, <laughs> um, there, again, there's a few writers on this one, too, um, from Nashville. So it was, again, just one of those that kind of touched me. And uh, it was just one that, you know, of hundreds of songs that I went through, I, I knew I had to have on this album um, for the debut. Now, there's one thing I can say is you're not a superstitious, superstitious person because there's 13 songs. You know, is, is that was that intentional or is it just that these are the songs you felt needed to be put out right now? <laughs> so, um, funny story on that one, um, to make a, a long story short, um, there was only supposed to be 12, and uh, it was pretty close to finishing the project. Um, when um, Doug, which was the um, the engineer on the album, we had been talking about this song, and while we were finishing up for the evening, he played this song. And when the melody started, um, and the song that I'm talking about, by the way, is number 13, uh, Weightless. And when he started to play it, there was something about the melody um, within the first three, four seconds that just stole my heart. And so I sat back down, and I could just remember... When the lyrics started, my mind was just drifting off into some fairy tale land, painting this picture throughout the the entire song. And after I left, I could not stop singing that song. And when I went back, it was a little bit of a back and forth, you know, with Brian, my producer. You know, we were just about done. Twelve songs was enough, and I I wouldn't let it go. There was just something so beautiful it was like a fairy tale type song um if you heard it and again that one's one of my favorites too it's just so beautiful and i i just knew that there was a reason that i heard the song and that i heard the reason was it was supposed to be mine i was supposed to do something unique with it and um it i wouldn't let it go so (laughs) that became song number 13 so it was supposed to be a 12 track album but uh you know, here we are with 13. <laughs> well, before we get to the title track um, of the of the album, which is Never Say Never, uh, because you love that song so much, let us play Weightless so people can understand why you fell in love with it. So here's Weightless by Ashley Puckett from her album Never Say Never. <laughs> You led me all around 
I listened to that one. Um, my husband and I, in about a month and a half, will have our 27th wedding anniversary, and we've been together actually 29 years. And when I, I thought of that song, it brought me back to when he and I first started seeing each other. We met in a bar restaurant, and one day, you know, they played live music in there at night, and one day we had gone outside for whatever reason. We went out the back door, I guess to get something out of one of our cars, and it was drizzling. And the headlights were on on the car, and it was shining on a manhole cover that was there in the edge of the parking lot. And in the rain, with the car lights on us, we stood on the manhole cover and danced. And it was such a magical <laughs> moment that, that when I thought of that song, I thought about my husband and dancing in the rain with him on this city <laughs> manhole cover. And just a silly little thing. But when you, when you find someone that you really, truly love, and, and, and as powerfully as this song depicts it, it's the little things that bring on that feeling. And many a time he'll get up while we're watching TV and go to bed early, and I'll be in the middle of watching whatever it was, and I'll turn around to say something to him. And even though he may be in the next room, I miss him. And this is what I got out of your song. It, was, it, just, it shows that love has such a great power. It does. It, it absolutely does. And again, I think just uh, everything from the melody to the, the way the lyrics were written, um, it displays that throughout the whole, you know, four minutes. And, um, you know, it's hopefully something that, you know, everyone can relate to, you know, whether you have the love of your life or you're still looking for the love of your life. And it's a fairy tale and it, and it paints a picture of what you're looking for, um, which is really why I fell in love with it from the first time. Yeah, I can, I can see why, because, you know, uh, my husband has not heard the song, so I'm going to try to slip it in there. <laughs> maybe dance around the living room a little bit tonight. I don't know. We'll never know. But anyway, you know, uh, I'm looking at the clock, and we're down to our last seven and a half minutes. Man, the show is going so fast today uh, with Liz Harrington from the RNC, yeah, and with Cat Turd. Can't forget Cat Turd and with uh, Savannah and now Ashley. It has been a fun. And I'm glad that, you know, Mike brought the two of you to me uh, to play your music because we're so involved in the news nonstop about politics, about this virus, and everyone is at a fever pitch. You know, do you have enough toilet paper? And people fighting over toilet paper in stores. It's gotten (laughs) crazy. And every once in a while, we just need to step back and just get our bearings and remember that the world's not going to end tomorrow. That we've got to just take a deep breath. And I, I think the two of you have come up with music that we really need at this time. And it is so beautiful. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I shared a, a couple of my thoughts um, earlier um, on social media for that same respect. I mean, that's where all the fans are right now. That's where all our friends are. And um, it really is something, music is hope is what I said, and music is what a lot of us, myself included, uses as an outlet, as of something to deter your mind or to help you get through something. So we really are all in this together, and music is a huge part. So, um, you know, I hope I do gain some new fans out of out of this, and, you know, I can touch a few people that, you know, maybe a song on the album can help 
somebody get through. Yeah, now, um, that said, it gives us the lead into your final song today, uh, which is the title song of your album, Never Say Never. And, again, it brought back a flood of memories because I had been going through the divorce with my first husband, and I tried dating, and I just... I wasn't happy with anything that was out there. And just one afternoon, I said, the heck with it. I'm stopping. I, I'm not even going to look. <laughs> you know, if it was going to happen, it's going to happen. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. as soon as I made that decision, I felt like a ton of weight came off of my shoulders. And I just, I said, fine. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's whatever the good Lord decides to will for me. And in the door walks my current husband. And I, I, when I listened to that song, again, I started to get choked up because sometimes uh-huh. you have to believe that somewhere along the way you are going to find love, whether it's love of family, of friends, or that, that one special person that is intended to be in your life. And, you know, you gave such a beautiful gift in this album, and each and every one of these songs touched me in a certain way, and I'm sure that someone else listened to it may be touched in a different way, but it's still a powerful touch, and you've got a wonderful reach here. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. And, um, yeah, if any of them, I, I know um, Never Say Never is a very, very touching song, so uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that one, too, and uh, I hope everyone else does. Well, in our final four minutes, we're going to play your closing, your song as our closing song. So, Ashley, I want to thank you for joining us. People can find you um, at Ashley Puckett, your name, AshleyPuckett.com, where they can listen to clips of your songs and get your album. And God bless you, and good luck on your career, Ashley. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. It is and our I pleasure. It and thoroughly. this is from... This is the title to the teeth and straight title song to Ashley Puckett's latest album release, Never Say Never. So I say to everyone, good night. God bless. We will be back here next Friday with Dan Perkins and Mark. Mark. Oh, good Lord. Sutherland. Oh, Braveheart. Just another Joe Biden moment here, <laughs> Curtis. So until then, I say good night and God bless. <laughs> Oh.